0: Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them, wouldn't he leave the other ninety-nine in the pasture, and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner Who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and their lives or what woman if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them won't light a lamp and sweep the house searching her home carefully until she finds it when she finds it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Jesus said, A certain man has two sons. The younger son said to the, his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterwards, The younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? But I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting. Because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. THE SERVANT REPLIED, YOUR BROTHER HAS ARRIVED, AND YOUR FATHER HAS SLAUGHTERED THE FATTENED CALF, BECAUSE HE RECEIVED HIS SON BACK, SAFE AND SOUND. THEN THE OLDER SON WAS FURIOUS, AND DIDN'T WANT TO ENTER IN, BUT HIS FATHER CAME OUT AND BEGGED HIM. HE ANSWERED HIS FATHER, LOOK, I'VE SERVED YOU ALL THESE YEARS, AND I NEVER DISOBEYED YOUR INSTRUCTION. YET YOU'VE NEVER GIVEN ME AS MUCH AS A YOUNG GOAT SO I CAN CELEBRATE WITH MY FRIENDS. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here ends the reading. As some of you might have heard me say before, I was not originally raised in the church. I was uh, raised non-religiously. I'd say spiritually, but not religiously. Uh, my family had uh, has been, have been Catholics for many generations, but Roman Catholics, but um, I never really uh, was part of that tradition. I remember when I was in middle school, I re- uh, one day after school, they were giving out Bibles. There was a a group and they had these little these little tiny bibles if you're in the US maybe you're familiar with them they're they're maybe the size of a a deck of playing cards and they had a box of them and they were just giving them out to people and I took one just cuz I was walking by and put it on my shelf and didn't think much much of it king james version and then years later when I was in in high school I uh but I never read that I never read that one I just had a similar on a shelf and Years later, when I was in high school, I went on a trip to uh, Philmont Scout Ranch. I was in the Boy Scouts, and we did a two-week backpacking trip through Philmont. And uh, when I was there, I took with me, uh, or I was given—I should say—a Bible to take with me. Probably King James Version. I don't—I don't actually remember. And I decided I was going to read it <laughs> while I was gone, as if I could read the Bible in in two weeks while also. Um, Trying to backpack and do other things, um, I was very ambitious, <laughs> so I I took it with me. And I remember I read it. I read it a little bit every night, and uh, you know I asked one of the one of the leaders on the on the trip was a Methodist minister, and I asked him, you know, how should I do this? Where should I start? Whatever, and he said just to start at the beginning and, and read through it. So I started at Genesis, and I started to read through it. And I think I made it through about the mid part of numbers um, before, which is, I mean, that's not bad that's you know that's two and a half books in right before I finally gave up <laughs> and said, okay, I've had enough of this," and uh, put it down and, and never read it again that that copy um, And this is still a question I think that people come come to me and others with what, you know, how do I start? I'm new. I, I'm new to Christianity. I was, you know, maybe I was raised in a culture where Christianity is kind of the, the norm. And so I have some, some general ideas about Christianity. Maybe I was raised in a church, but never took the time to actually read the Bible. Um, but it was just, was just, just took what I was told at face value. For whatever reason, this is, this is my first time reading through the Bible. Maybe I'm, I'm a teenager. Maybe I'm a young person and I'm reading the Bible for the first time, where should I start? What version should I use? What should I read? What order? Is there a reading plan you suggest? All of these things. And then certainly, depending on your situation, there are different, There, are, I have different suggestions for this. But I think that if, and this is what I tell people now, I think that if you're brand new um, to Christianity, and you're, and you're searching and you're questioning and you really want to understand the core of the gospel message, you know, gospel just means the good news, the core of the good news that Christianity brings, then I think the best way into that core is to read the Gospel of Luke, which is really my favorite of the four gospels, and the book of Acts, because the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were written by the same author, and they were really meant to be a pair. They were meant to go together. The Gospel of Luke, of course, is what we've been working our, working through um, in our lectionary readings and it's uh, you know the story of Jesus's life uh, through his crucifixion and resurrection and his uh ascendance in uh, into heaven and then the book of Acts picks up from there and tells the story of of the uh the young church and uh, the early the early church and and um, the lives of the apostles and such. Uh, it's called the, the the book of the act of the Acts of the Apostles. So I think those two books are really the core. And then if you're going to add to that, um, I would actually say the next thing maybe to add would be uh, the Epistle of James, um, which is as far as we can tell one of the oldest books, if, if not the oldest book in the New Testament. And then um, then I would say probably. Paul's letter to the Romans would be a good, a good thing to follow with that. But I mean, that's probably a good set. And then once you've read that, maybe go back and read Genesis and Exodus, which are of course, um, important backstory to a lot of, a lot of things. But one of the reasons why I like Luke, and one of the reasons why I suggest it like this is that it really gets, Luke really gets to the heart of, um, of the story. And, you know, we don't really know uh, who wrote the Book of Luke. Like we, we don't, you know, it's hard to know for sure. But but tradition says that it was Luke who was a physician and um, a uh, a companion of Paul. And so, what we're really getting is Paul's version of the gospel. We're getting the gospel as it was transmitted through Paul to Luke. And the thing that Paul was really focused on. And why again? I suggest Romans is a good example. After that, it, and Paul gets a lot of bad rap, and even by me. I mean, even up until maybe two years ago, um, I really gave Paul a hard time. I really felt like, um, like Paul was was uh, not uh, not the best represent, representative of Christianity, and largely because I misunderstood what Paul was trying to say in, in a lot of places. And I, um, I've since uh, corrected my understanding in a lot of ways. But Paul was really focused on equality of the early church, in a way that that um, many of the other apostles maybe were not as as focused on. Many of the other apostles were focused on reaching out to the Jewish community, reaching out to the to the um, the ethnically and religiously Jewish community, and bringing them in to the message of Jesus and, and to um, the Jesus movement, if you will but paul being both um a jew by birth um and also a roman citizen uh and and well um educated in in greek and latin was really interested in bringing in uh the gentiles the, the non-jewish people the romans and the and the people of the greek world uh, and and making them equal partners in this Jesus movement. And we can see through the way that Luke's gospel is written, that there's an emphasis on this. There's an emphasis both on um, talking to the, the, the Jewish Christians, the, those Christians part those members of the, of the Jesus movement, if you will, who were raised Jewish and also both at the same time, speaking to the Gentiles and telling both sides that the other is just as important to God. And I think that the there there are very there are a few parables in in the gospel of Luke that I really point to as being core to the Christian message and to the to the Christian gospel, to the good news of Christ. And this reading from uh, we have today is is one of them um i think the the good samaritan reading that we had a few weeks ago is is absolutely one of them and i think this is absolutely one of them um and so i think it's worth us really paying attention to this reading and and really trying to understand it. i i highly suggest that you you read over it again um outside of the service uh, i suggest reading it in multiple translations because of course you know every English translation of the Bible is wrong in some way. Translation, in its because of its very nature, introduces biases and and um, cultural understandings that were not in the original text. And so, uh, it's always good to read multiple translations and to read, especially if you're if you're really interested in, in digging in, to read the translator's notes. Um, a, real, some, a really good Bible for that. So we we use the 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 Common English uh, Bible because it is uh, has it, it uses a um, like a seventh grade reading level for for English, and I want to be as as open and um, ex- and I, w- I want to make the bar as low as possible for non native speakers to be able to to keep up with the readings. and And I think that it does a good job. and It was it was ecumenically produced, but with people from a bunch of different traditions. And not just Protestant traditions. I mean, it's it's very ecumenical. So I think it's a good translation. But if you want a more technical translation of the Bible, some some really good uh, ones are the NRSV, of course, um, but also the, the Lexham English Bible, which is the Bible translation produced by Logos Bible Software, and the Net Bible, the New English Translation Net Bible. Both of these have really excellent translation notes. And they're they're both very direct translations. Um, and and if you if you really want to dig into the word choice and the and the meanings and things, those are both good options for you. Sorry, that's a little bit of an aside from my main point, but I just wanted to bring that up. So let's go back and look at this text because, like I said, I think this text is really important. So we start with Jesus um, and. and his outreach and his, his ministry to the what are, what are called in the text the tax collectors and the sinners. So tax collectors are, are mentioned because they were working for the Roman government, and so they were often seen as traitors or, or um, kind of unscrupulous people and at the time. Many of them um, uh, collected more taxes than they were supposed to and kept the extra for themselves. So they're just kind of scenes unscrupulous people and uh sinners so they you know they don't specify what kind of sinners just people people that that you know uh that nice uh law abiding uh folks maybe wouldn't hang out with on a regular basis but Jesus hangs out with them and Jesus has has meals with them he breaks bread and has has meals with them uh, he invites them to his table and the the Pharisees and the legal experts are also sometimes uh, translated as the scribes were grumbling saying this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This was a, a very unusual thing uh, of the day. Um, and it was seen as, as kind of like, you know, when, when you're, when your teenage kid makes friends with somebody who, who seems like trouble in the and, uh, <laughs> you know brings them over for dinner and you're like i don't know about this i don't know about this person they they seem like trouble you know seem like a bad apple uh, birds of a feather flock together this kind of thing same same kind of idea and it's important to remember the pharisees were, were very interested in like personal piety and and holiness and the legal experts were interested in in you know following the letter of the law and so in response to this, and we're not told the exact time that this happens. We're not given any kind of like historical setup on this. So this is more of like a general response. You know, generally speaking, the Pharisees and the experts were grumbling about this. And this is Jesus's response. He, he comes back and he tells them three parables, um, all having to do with something that was lost and then found again. In the first one, he says, suppose someone among you had a hundred sheep, and lost one of them. And I think it's important, too, this, this translation is very uh, equitable here and says someone among you. But, but I, do, I want to point out that, that, that Luke is trying to be very inclusive. So in the, actually in the text of the, the first parable, it's, you know, the, the, the someone among you is kind of implied to be male. And then in the second parable, it, 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 there's a woman. So he, Luke is trying to be, um, trying to be inclusive in, in, in these tellings but someone among you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders. And when he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. So th- there's a couple of things in this, in this little bit of story we can deconstruct um, that are kind of important. First of all, a hundred sheep is a large flock. So this is not... Uh, a poor shepherd this is a fairly well off shepherd probably and in the original text the leaving them in the, in the pasture is a little misleading when i think of pasture i think of you know the pasture land in 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 rural texas or in rural england where the pasture is an enclosed space where the sheep are relatively safe but that's not what this means the, another translation of this is the wilderness so the sheep are out, like, you know, he's, the, the shepherd is out herding the sheep around in the wilderness where they're, they could be attacked. I and mean, the reason the shepherd keeps them together is to keep them from being attacked by wolves or other, other, um, you know, nefarious uh, creatures. So to leave the other 99 and go looking for just one, when he has 99, he has a, he has a large flock, is actually, you know, we, we kind of assume maybe if we've heard this story before that that the, the the immediate answer when he says, you know, um, you know, who who among you wouldn't do this? You know, the, the answer would be, oh, of course he would. But really the answer would be no. Like, why why would I do this? I wouldn't leave my 99 sheep, you know, in the wilderness and go looking for the one that wandered off. I w- I would just consider that one lost. And if it happened to come back, then great. And if not, then no big deal. And in this way, Jesus is pointing a spotlight on the, the Pharisees and the legal experts and, um, the sinners that, that Jesus is, is, um, eating with, right? The, the Pharisees and legal experts, they figure these people are, are lost. You know, I'm, I need to focus on the 99%. I need to focus on the ones that, that I can, that I can save. These people are, are beyond my saving, right? And Jesus says, but even these people you know, it, 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 when these people come in and then after this he says, you know, in the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both their heart and their life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts. So he's saying, you know, even though it seems that this person is beyond helping, that this person is, is, is off and is lost and is, and is you know, just, just why even bother bringing that person back in to the family of God will bring much rejoicing and joy in heaven. More so than the 99 who, who don't need to be saved because they've already heard the message. They've already changed their hearts. And then he continues, what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. So again, we have to know something. The, the the coin here mentioned is a drachma, which is a Greek coin, um, and uh, was was a, a, basically this was one day's wage. So this is the amount of money that you would make in a day of of solid work. And if she's got ten of them, then she's probably been saving them up for a while. Uh, and so, unlike the story of the sheep, losing one of these is actually kind of a big deal. This is a much this is a much um, more serious loss you might say than the sheep and so she combs the house until she finds it and and when she finds it she's so excited she finds it that, that she she throws a party <laughs> and maybe spends the drachma you know maybe spends the coin of the party who knows um but still you know he says in the same way i tell you joy breaks out in the presence of god's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life So now we're telling a story where the each thing is a little bit more important, where it's more obvious to the listener that they're more important and still even one out of 10 is, is important. Then Jesus tells what is probably the most well-known of these three uh, parables, a a parable that is often called the parable of the, the prodigal son. Jesus said a certain man had two sons the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. So let's look at this first. So a man has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son tells the father, Give me my share of the inheritance. So normally you would get your inheritance when your father died. And the older son gets two um, shares. And So you can think of this as dividing the the. The land and the estate and the money and everything that the father has into three equal parts and then giving the younger one his part of the inheritance and by doing this basically the son is saying i'm no longer your son i'm no longer going to have any any um I'm never i'm never going to ask you for anything and again i'm going to take my money and i'm going to leave and, and we're done we're through i don't want to be your son anymore that's that's what he's saying this is a much the, the the seriousness of this act is maybe perhaps lost on us a little bit in um, in our modern life, but this was a very serious thing, and indeed the, the um, you know it, this is not this is not something people are are, are suggested to do like like they you know people people were generally told not to do this kind of thing don't don't split up your estate be- before you died you know, don't give your your children their um inheritance if they ask if you can avoid it right um anyway so he does this right he gives he gives the inheritance to his son and the son leaves the younger son leaves and he travels to a faraway land and he uh he wastes all the money through extravagant living and there's a couple of different translations of this but i mean basically he parties he goes out he parties he has a good time he he buys fancy things, you know. He he spends money on, on. Um, we we can assume all kinds of things that the text doesn't say specifically, but you know we can assume that he's he's partying and having a good time and living it up. He's taking the money he's gotten from his father, you know. He's a he's, he's got a trust fund and he's he's spending his trust fund, um on on living uh, uh, instead of putting it away and saving it for later. He just spends it, and then there's. Uh, he uses up all of his money and and there's a severe food shortage in the country that he's gone to. And so he begins to be in need. He's he's starting to go hungry. He's out of money. He he can't buy food. And so he he gets a job working for one of the the citizens of the country he's in. And that person sends him out to work in the fields feeding pigs. This is important because um, pigs were considered ritually unclean uh, in in uh, Jewish uh, religion and, and law. And so for him to be a Jew and to be feeding the pigs, this is a very low job. This is a very lowly, you know, job. He's really fallen and he's so hungry that he just wishes he could eat the food they're feeding to the pigs. So the, the idea here is that the, you know, if the pigs are, are lowly then the food they're giving the pigs is also lowly. Um, and, but he, and finally comes to his senses and he's like, this is ridiculous. You know, my, my father, you know, had all these servants and they were all, my, my father treated them so much better than this person I work for is treating me. He says, so he decides that he's going to go back to his father and he's going to say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he's not going to go back and ask to be made, uh, you know, a son again. He's not going to ask for additional inheritance. He's not going to ask for a handout from his father. He's he's going to go back to his father and say, you know, look, please give me a job. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to live as as I just want to work for you. You know, you don't have to treat me as your son because I've done horrible things. I just just want to work for you. And so he goes back uh, to his father. But while he was still a long way off in the fields, his father sees him, and his father is so moved with compassion, by the fact that his son has returned to him. That he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He doesn't care about the fact that the son squandered the money. He doesn't care that the fact that the son asked for the inheritance in the first place, which was a huge deal uh, in the time. He doesn't care about any of that. He runs out to him. He goes out to the son. And he hugs the son and he kisses him. And the son starts to apologize. Father, I've, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the, but the father doesn't even pay attention to that. He just turns around to his servants and says, quickly, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You know, This is basically restoring him in, uh, to his previous um, status as the younger son. And then he says even more than that, fetch the fatted calf and calf and slaughter it we must celebrate with feasting so he throws a huge party he says because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life he was lost and now he is found and they all begin to celebrate and this is all fine and dandy but there's another son there's an older son who all this time has been doing exactly what his father asked of him he's been working he's been getting ready to take over the family land and business and inheritance you know, he's been taking care of things while the younger son is gone. And now he comes back out of the field where he's been working and he hears dancing and, and music. And so he asks what the servant, you know, what's going on? And the servant replies, well, your brother has arrived and your father has thrown him this party. And the older son is furious because the older son feels like the younger brother doesn't deserve this. The younger brother has done a horrible thing. The younger brother has has you know uh thrown away his his relationship to the family squandered all his money and now he's come back and instead of being instead of being punished instead of being um, put in his place the father has just thrown a huge party for him a bigger party than the father has ever thrown for the older brother and so the older brother is angry he's furious And he doesn't even want to go into the party. And so the the father comes out and begs him to come into the party. Again, here, the father is, is lowering his own status, where he's begging the son to come in. This is a very kind of humiliating thing for the father. He comes out and he begs him, the son, to come in. And the older brother is like, look, I've served you all these years. I've never disobeyed you. I've done everything you asked, and yet you've never even given me a goat, yet alone a a whole calf, to throw a party with my friends. But when this son of yours, and notice he, he doesn't say when my brother returns. He says, when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. He's really pissed. He's really pissed that his brother is getting this preferential treatment. What he sees is preferential treatment after doing such horrible things. But then the father says, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. This is very literally true, right? Because the he's already given the younger brother his portion of the estate. So everything left belongs to the older brother. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, and here now he turns it around, this son of yours, now he says this brother of yours, this brother of yours was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. It's such a great parable. It's a, it's, it, it tells us so much about the nature of God and the nature of God's forgiveness. God doesn't care what we've done. God doesn't care what mistakes we've made or how we've treated God in the past. When we really turn around when we repent, you know, to repent means literally to turn around, to, to face the other way. When we turn around and we face God and we are, are honest, completely honest with ourselves and with God about what we've done, about how we feel. When we turn and embrace God and God will embrace us, God will come like the loving father. And embrace us. So, why? So, my my sermon title today is the prodigal father. So, this this parable is often called the prodigal son. And I I'll, I'll be honest with you, I heard this this name, the prodigal son, growing up. I had no idea what it meant. Um, I only knew that it applied to this parable. <laughs> so, I actually had to look it up a while back. And in, and in, uh, the first time I kind of gave a sermon on this topic, and prodigal means. Um Somebody who is wasteful uh who who is um you know uh, refers to the fact that the son went and spent all the money wastefully and didn't save any of it and so why you know why say the prodigal father um, Another way to think about prodigal is is lavish recklessly wasteful so the point here is that we often see the sun as as wasteful and in fact we often this this story has been told so much that we've we've forgotten how offensive it would be to the people who were hearing it in the in jesus's day don't forget this is a response to the the pharisees and the and legal experts who were upset that jesus was having uh these tax collectors and sinners over for dinner and was, and was spending time with them and was was you know inviting them into his home and everything these were un unmentionable people you didn't you didn't hang out with these people and this is jesus's response. This story would have been very offensive um at the time and it because the pharisees and and the legal experts would have seen themselves in the place of the older son, probably. They would have thought of themselves as we are the people that have that have been here, that have, have been following the law, that have been doing what we've been told. Um, why should these sinners, just like the younger son, why should they be welcomed back by the father? They need to be put in their place. They need to be punished. They need to have justice brought down on them. And certainly this is this is also what we often think as uh, as members of the church i think when we hear this this parable we put ourselves in the shoes of the older brother especially if we were raised in the church especially if we're pastoring a church <laughs> perhaps we we might put ourselves in the shoes of the older brother and say look we have done everything we have been here we have followed we have we have given up things in our life so that we can do what god has asked us to do we have suffered so that we can be um the people that god wants us to be how dare god just accept these sinners back without any judgment without any um form of 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 punishment for them you know the father doesn't say okay son i'll take you back but because of what you've done you're gonna have to pay me back the money that i gave you or um, i'll take you back but you're gonna have 30 lashes um because you've disobeyed me you know which the the at this point the this the younger son would probably have been happy with anything like that he was so distraught so so downtrodden he just wanted a job. He didn't even want to be a son anymore, and he just wanted to come back and be a giant and get a job and be just be taken care of by the father. And I think that many of us might put ourselves in the shoes of the older brother, and and certainly I think the Pharisees and the and the, tax, and the um, legal experts did, but. The, the parable is about two sons and the father. And it's a little hard for us to think about this, but we really need to think about being in both positions. Because everybody, everybody is, uh, to use kind of common, the common language, everybody is a sinner. Everybody does things that are against what, what God asks of us. Everybody, even the most devout uh and faithful Christians make mistakes they they stumble they do things wrong. It's just human nature there there's no way around it. This is why this idea of um original sin has been so popular in the church i'm you know i'm personally not a not a believer in original sin, but um I think that it it tells a it tells a good message has a good message and a good story in a way, because it talks about the fact that we are all, in our nature, flawed a little bit. And that there's nothing wrong with that that, that, that that's just the way we are. And so we're going to make mistakes. And so, the, you know, trying to not make mistakes is futile. What's important is, is to recognize when you've made mistakes and repent for them, right? And so, really, the Pharisees and um, the legal experts should have thought of themselves as the younger brother but of course they didn't they would have thought of themselves as the older brother and they would have been really angry at the idea that the the sinners and the tax collectors who they saw as the younger brother um in the story would be welcomed back in when to god's grace with without having to do anything without having to pay anything and in fact that god would throw a party for them would be so excited that they that they had that they had repented and come back um and and so it, it, the story was offensive in Jesus's day, and it really ought to be kind of offensive to us. It's the offensive nature of grace. It's the offensive nature of of God's forgiveness that God forgives everybody. This is kind of a core idea of Christian universalism, and this is this parable is one of the reasons why we really feel that Christian universalism has a very strong basis in the in the biblical story, in the biblical narrative. So why the prodigal father? Because the father is also lavish. Because the father is also recklessly wasteful. <laughs> what I mean by that is that when the younger son asks the, for his inheritance, the father gives it to him. Even though That's going to make the father's life much more difficult. And even though the father knows, or probably has a pretty good idea, that the younger son is going to to waste that inheritance, you know, and part of the inheritance is probably land, and so the the younger son probably sold off part of the the family farm, part of the family fields, um, to you know, for money, so he he could leave and go someplace else and get away. So in that way the the father is reckless. But also when the when the son returns, the father has reckless, lavish um a reckless, lavish party that he lavishes he gives gives him a gives him a the younger son a new cloak, gives him a ring, sandals, things that you know slaughters the fattened calf that has been saved for some special occasion, right? Throws a party. I mean this is also kind of recklessly wasteful. This is also prodigal. The focus of the story is not really on either of the sons. It's, I mean, it's important for us to understand ourselves in the, as being in the place of the sons, and really of both the sons, not just of one or the other. But the focus is really on the father. The focus is on the loving, um, redeeming nature of the father that the father welcomes the son's back no matter what. And so in the story, we need to understand that God is the father here. That God is very much our parent who loves us unconditionally no matter what we do. Even when we mess up, he still loves us unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. As any loving parent would. In a way that is so much more perfect than any parent any human parent could possibly be just because of our own flawed nature and so when we turn around when we repent when we come back to God we are welcomed with open arms and with rejoicing and partying by God and by all the all of the uh those in heaven I guess <laughs> And it's important to note that you know there's no there's no time limit on this. You know the the father waited patiently for a long time, and the, for the son to come back. And so God will wait for us as well. So, this parable is really important. It's really important to my faith as a Christian, and I think it's really important to the story of Christianity to the, to the helping us understand the offensive and revolutionary nature of the gospel, of the story of God's grace. So I hope that you will take some time and reflect on it, reflect on the other stories from the reading today and really try to understand and and try to see yourself in these stories, not just as um, the the prodigal son, uh, not just as, the older son, but it's both. Amen.